The Old Testament reading for this, the seventh Sunday after the Epiphany, comes from the book of Genesis, the 45th chapter. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, all nations. For great is his steadfast love toward us. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Epistle reading comes from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, the 15th chapter. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until, all has he, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Why am I in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. 
And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. And this is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. Jesus said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace to you, Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Judge not. In our gospel reading today, Jesus clearly says these words. Judge not, condemn not. But of course, he isn't alone. In fact, this passage and the parallel one in Matthew that reads, Judge not, lest you be judged, are probably the most widely quoted passages of Scripture among non-believers. It's a very popular refrain, especially when speaking to a Christian who dared to say that what they were doing was wrong, who dared to tell them that they were a sinner. Judge not! Judge not! I don't know anything at all about your beliefs, but I learned this one passage which completely supersedes anything else that you may have to say. Judge not! Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. Don't tell me that anything I do isn't automatically approved of and totally loved by God. I don't care about him. 
I don't believe in him, but I know he wouldn't ever say that I'm doing something wrong. All he would say is what I'm saying. Judge not. And we listen. Not to God, unfortunately, but to the misinformed world that tries to tell us what God's word really means. We hear Jesus say that we should not judge or condemn, that we should turn the other cheek, that we should love our enemies, and we agree with the world's completely misinformed interpretation of love your enemies. We often think that to love someone is to approve of whatever they want to do, to let them do anything that they want. Jesus calls us to love our enemies. And so lovingly, we should just sit back and say nothing, even when people are living in manifest, unrepentant sin. To love your neighbor is to encourage and embrace anything that they do, to tell them, good job, no matter how wretched it might be. I mean, it certainly looks awfully loving in the eyes of the world because you are being tolerant, you are being inclusive, you are being accepting. And it certainly helps us get along better with the world, and that's loving, isn't it? If we're not arguing with our neighbor, we're loving them. If we're not telling them things they don't want to hear, that's the loving thing to do. And let's be honest, it's a heck of a lot easier and safer for us to sit back and say nothing. Because when we convict someone of their sin, when we point out that they shouldn't be doing these things, it hurts their feelings. It makes them dislike us. And so the loving thing to do is nothing. When we see sin, we dummy up and we tend to say nothing because we assume that that's real love. That's what we've heard for so long. Love is never having to confront someone. Love is letting people be themselves. Don't speak against homosexuality or adultery or divorce or transgenderism because that's hateful. It hurts people's feelings. It says that they're doing something wrong, and it establishes your morals higher than theirs. Don't say anything to your brother and sister in Christ as they stray into false teachings and heresy, because they may not like that very much. You might hurt their feelings. They might feel bad, and that's not a loving thing to do. And definitely... Definitely don't address any sin in your own family, right? Let your children stray from the church and live lives of sin and debauchery. Let your family take sports and leisure and everything else far more seriously than church. Let them turn away from God to their idols. Let them live together in sin. Let them ignore and neglect God's word because it's far easier and nicer for everyone. It's just way more pleasant and the world convinces us that's the loving thing to do. Nothing at all. Don't ever talk about things that matter. Don't ever bring up spirituality. Don't ever confront your children and say, are you truly living by the word of God? Because the world says that is how you love your enemy. That is how you love one another, to just let them be themselves. But is it really? 
Is it really loving to let another person condemn themselves? Is it loving to let someone walk down the path to hell and not tell them where it leads? You know, Jesus in the same passage also says, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Would you want someone to let you burn in hell when they know how you could avoid it? Would you consider that the loving thing? Would you want someone to let you destroy your life when they could easily speak up and help you out of that situation, give you a better way, show you a way that leads to life rather than death? Would you want someone to sit back and say nothing when they clearly see you edging closer and closer to the flames of hell and the pain that sin brings into your life that is so easily avoidable? Would you want them to sit back and say nothing because they didn't want to hurt your feelings, because they didn't want to cramp your style, because they wanted to do the loving thing of nothing? That's not love. It's not always the easiest thing or the most pleasant thing, but despite what the world tries to tell us, speaking God's word to others is the loving thing. Doing nothing isn't love, it's apathy. How much do you have to hate someone to sit back and watch them go to hell and go, I don't want to hurt their feelings, though? We warn others of sin, even as we acknowledge that we ourselves are not perfect. We speak the law of God. We proclaim that sin is wrong. We proclaim that our society does not have the answer. We tell people that God's way is the only way. We speak the law of God in love, even when it hurts people's feelings. But more important than that, we tell people of God's love for us. You know, so often we think that our job as Christians is to club those filthy unbelievers over the head until they sufficiently repent and clean up their lives and they act like good people for crying out loud. That's not it at all. We speak God's word of law to be sure, but we do so only to proclaim even more clearly his gospel of forgiveness. We use our wisdom and our experience to speak the word in a winsome way. Not with a barrage of accusations. We don't judge according to our lives and say, boy, I am a way better person than they are. I don't want them to be at church. They might think the place up. We lovingly speak God's word to all because all people need to hear the word. We speak it in love in what we say and even more importantly, what we do. We live out our Christian faith at all times, all places. We stand up for those who are defenseless. We pray for those who hate us. We bless those who curse us. And we proclaim the full truth of God's word to all And the truth that that blessed word reveals is that we can love our enemies only because Jesus loved us while we were his enemies. You know, think about that. As Christians, we get very comfortable with the idea that Jesus is our friend. Jesus is the one who loves us. We know the mercy of Jesus Christ. 
But what is your natural condition? You are a sinner. You are someone who has transgressed God's holy word. You have disagreed with him. You have spoken against him. You have refused to acknowledge him before the world. You are someone who could not know God on your own and had no desire to know him. You are someone who opposes God and despises his word. And so, in short, you were his enemy. Your sin set you at odds against the creator of the universe. And not just, you know, well, we don't really agree on this. You were opposed to him. You stood on the other side of the battle lines and you were his enemy, worthy of his destruction and wrath and condemnation. And what did he do for you? He loved you. You, his enemy. You who spit in his face so often. You who said, I have no need of you, God. He loved you. Not by letting you just do what you want. Not by pretending everything was okay and saying, oh, let's not worry about that sin stuff so much. Not even by demanding that you change yourself and then he would consider if you were worth loving. While you were a feral mess, a rabid dog who hated and bit and despised God in every way, he loved you to the fullest. While you were still his enemy, while you hated him, while you still had nothing at all to offer and no desire to offer anything, Jesus Christ loved you by dying for you. Think about the person in your life who drives you nuts. The person in your life that you hate the most. What would you do if they were in trouble? Well, we'd probably sit back and laugh. We'd probably say they deserve it. We'd probably say they finally got their comeuppance and it couldn't have happened to a nicer person. But that person is you in God's eyes. You were his enemy. You sinned. You despised him. And what did he do for you? He didn't love you by doing nothing. He loved you by dying. He gave up everything to spare you from your self-inflicted hell. All your sin was taken away from you and it was laid upon him. Though you hated him, he laid down his life for you at the cross. He gave up not just some time, not just some kind words, not just some effort to try to train you to be a better person. He gave up everything to spare you from sin, death, and the devil while you were still his enemy. You didn't want it, you didn't deserve it, and yet God gave it to you freely. And even though you didn't deserve it, even though you didn't even realize you needed it, God rose again from the grave to give you eternal life. Not eternal life here on earth where we still suffer from sin and maybe try to get a few more things right, but eternal life in his presence. You, his enemy, he wants to be with you so badly that he died so that you could be in his heavenly paradise forever. There was no merit or worth in you. You were God's enemy the very core, and yet he loved you enough to die for you, 
to rise again for you, to forgive you completely so that you could be with him forever. And still today, he actively loves you, actively speaks his word of guidance and discipline and forgiveness. And yes, that is love. Parents, do you love your children by never telling them no? Do you love your children by never disciplining them, never showing them that their ways may be wrong at times? That's not love. That's raising a feral child. That's someone who is completely unloved, and you just let them be a spoiled brat forever and never teach them how to live in society. God loves us with his discipline, but he loves us with his forgiveness. He loves you enough that he wants a better life for you than what the devil and this world have to offer. He loves you so much that he doesn't want to see you get hurt by all the sin around you and within you. He doesn't sit back and go, oh, they had that one coming. He loves you even when you turn away from his word and inflict such pain and suffering on yourself and those around you. His love endures and it endures forever. He is present and active in your life, even though you were his enemy, even though you didn't deserve it. He loves his enemies. He loves you. That's what Jesus has done for you. He loved you while you were his enemy, and he made you his own. And that's what we as Christians are now called to do as well. Do good to those who hate us. Bless those who curse us. Pray for those who abuse us. In short, love our enemies. Not by sitting back and saying nothing or pretending that sin isn't really sin. That's not love. That's apathy. That's hatefully letting people condemn themselves for the sake of our own comfort. And so in love, we speak out against sin. We tell people, we show people that God's way is a much better way. But more importantly, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has love for all people, the forgiveness that he freely gives to all those who look to him in faith, the undeserved mercy and free gift of everlasting life that Jesus Christ won for us at his cross and his empty tomb. There is no greater love than this, where the love of God endures forever, here on earth and for all eternity in heaven. By our sin, we deserve only to be God's enemies forever, cast into eternal darkness and hell. But though we were his enemies, God loved us enough to suffer, to die, to rise again for us. How could we not share that precious news with everyone? That is the message that all people need to hear. That by the cross of Jesus Christ, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.